podcast ain't played nobody back in the home office. Tell me about Coastal Carolina Bill because the previews are back. My Oprah first of voice. all, first of all, I, that, that was actually a pretty good Oprah voice. Uh, first of all, I would like to say that for those of you who got who who climbed through last week's show, um, it was I, bad. I, I either apologize or you're welcome because uh, it's never. I don't want to. I guess you should never say never, but I'm trying to piece together like the the components that would make a show worse than that. It would take a lot to make a show worse than what we did last week. But we gave you a show last week. I feel like it was especially my fault. It's just that we insist on keeping a weekly schedule unless um, unless there is a kind of medical family type thing. <laughs> I couldn't do the podcast on Wednesday. I was with the Oregon people for 20, I don't even know, literally, well, I wasn't with them for, I was awake at one point for 23 straight hours, which once you've had a child is really not a big deal. We're done drugs. Um, but, uh, we didn't want to do it Tuesday in case newsy things happen and newsy things happen. Like we talked about Texas. Um, and then on Thursday, I just had this limited window before I had to be at the airport in Oregon. Um, I guess there were multiple horrific audio quality issues, we had to restart the thing as I was driving out to the Eugene airport, which is super quaint and nice, by the way. Um, I think there was like a fuzzy kickback on my, I guess, I, oh, I was using earbuds, by the way. You really want to break it down and go behind the scenes for hot podcast content. I had to use the microphone of earbuds on a phone. It was, it was, a, it was a trash fire. It was a trash fire. Um, and you know, it's funny. The, the podcast Ain't Played Nobody community tolerates a certain level, Bill. But then our... <laughs> Our kissing cousins at Shutdown Fullback sort of are, they take the the bad audio thing, but they have a certain artistic flair about it. Yeah, there was nothing artistic about that. Right. I guess I have a newfound respect for terrible sounding, like, podcasts, because ours was terrible sounding, but it was still, like, not, you know, like, it, it just didn't work. It It wasn't terrible sounding in the fun way that Jason and Ryan and those guys make terrible things. That's going to get taken out of context at work, by the way. Eh, yeah, no, everything's out of context. Now, and, and even the, the, the thing at the end, the little app that I used to record our phone call to stick it onto the end of the podcast, it sounded good when I first like played it back. I thought, all right, well, this is actually not the worst thing in the world. Then I put it into the editing program, and it sounds even worse than the normal with your humming in your background of the hotel room and all that. It sounded like three times worse. So anyway, we are on home microphones today. I'm very, and I'm here um, to talk to you about Coastal Carolina, the Chanticleers, the the right, now, now, One more time, because let's just go ahead and address a couple of things first. Um, say the just say it one more time. I say either ch or sh. The Chanticleers, Chanticleers, Chanta Chanticleers. I think I, Chanticleers probably sounds about better. What is the first name of the coach who won the national title this year? I'm not. I'm not going to answer that because it's I'm not making. No, 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 no. Look, I've never corrected you. I've never corrected you. I appreciate a rich milieu of dialects and accents in our fine melting pot of a country. I have no problem with your really weird Southern Midwest thing on that. But what is his name? Uh, I say Dabo, but you know, because it came from. Have you Dabo. always? Have you always said that? Uh, apparently, because uh, otherwise, uh, you know, hearing something different 3,800 times on, on television would have gotten me to change it by now. So apparently that's just built in. That's the way it's going to be. 
I've had a fierce, fierce, nearly marriage-ending arguments with my wife over the the pronunciation of the word P-E-C-A-N. Pecan. Right. But the problem is in different parts and pockets of the South and Appalachia, it goes back and forth, and sometimes I accidentally flip back and forth, and uh, I guess apparently that deserves a fate worse than death. Bill, I didn't even do the read. Welcome to Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. This is a college football marriage of numbers and words. He's the robot Bill Connolly. He invented the S&P Plus analytics systems. He is the proprietor of SB Nation's football study hall, and he is the author of the forthcoming book, 50 Best College Football Teams of All Time, asterisk, uh, a book we will plug soon. My name is Stephen Godfrey. I stood outside NRG Stadium on Sunday night and dry heaved. I'm 35 years old. That's all I'm going to say. Tell me about Coastal Carolina. I was going to say, I didn't think we were allowed to mention that today. We're not. We're not. It, well, actually, I don't even know what I'm talking about. I went, I, there was a wonderful procedure. I got, you know, Nashville's such a boutique city. I came home, went into a small office, slightly sedated, a needle straight up the nose, laser on the end of it, a small burning sensation, frontal cortex. You know, as far as I know, I was in Houston. I had a wonderful dinner at El Tiempo. They did this crazy jalapeno cheese enchilada thing. It was very lovely. Um, and then I came home. That's it. Okay. There's a small, small kind of, kind of a burnt hair sensation, you know, in my sinuses where whatever happened was just slowly kind of fuzzed out of my memory. I don't know. Maybe I killed someone. I hope I did. <laughs> Got away with it. You witnessed history. No, I, oh, I didn't. All I ever, uh, really, I was in a really long Uber line, and I was dry heaving. That's the only thing I remember. Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina. The, the Chanticleers. The ch- as I, I'm going to go Chanticleer, by the way, just to settle okay. the stupid debate. I think, okay. not that you and I were debating, but and I think I shan't. Shan't. I, like, you shan't do that. When I was... Uh, uh, putting together the little the auto tweet for when this went up on Monday morning, I, I took a chance. I, I really I had no idea whether they go by like the chants or the clears or whatever. What about the clears, the, the clears kind of cracked me up a little bit, so I went with clears, and I got admonished very, very, very quickly. It's the chance. And if I was a college baseball fan that watched them win the the College World Series, whenever that was last year, the year before, I would have known this. I watched that game, but anytime I'm watching live sports at night that I don't really care about, chances are it's on mute. So um, congratulations for your College World Series title. I did watch it. Um, I think I watched it. Uh, that you actually won, right? It wasn't like a they didn't just make the finals thing. I think they actually won. no, no, no they they won. They've um um I know the um they won, and it was not. I if you listen to this show, you have probably I'd say a twenty five percent chance maybe that you are you follow college baseball. Um, maybe that's too high, but I know people think of the college World Series and they're like Miami. You know, uh, I just blanked. Any team from the SEC, PCU, right. whatever, um, but uh, or Oregon State won it two years in a row. So there you go. Um, they're actually really good. Fresno, Fresno won it that one time. Yeah, Fresno won it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, no, Coastal Carolina is actually really good, which makes a lot of sense. If you ever watched the third season of Eastbound and Down, they actually have a couple scenes that take place at Coastal Carolina um, and involve baseball. Um, it's they're in Myrtle, right? No, they're in Conway. So they're right out, yeah, they're right outside of Myrtle. Uh, they're in one of those little pockets of the country where you can play baseball like 330 days a year, so you're probably going to be good at baseball. 
Right, Oklahoma. I grew up in in Oklahoma, so there's really no excuse for me to not appreciate baseball more than I do because they play it year-round, and the small towns are good as hell at baseball. They play baseball year-round in Oklahoma? I don't know. I mean, well, I mean, they don't play it in the fall, obviously. Really? But everybody who plays football in the fall turns around and plays baseball as well. I did not know that about Oklahoma. Yeah, lots of small, lots of good-ass small towns. All I know is earthquakes. Yeah, that's that, that that was not the case when I left Oklahoma in 1997. Yes, 2016 College World Series champions. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm caught up. All it's right, good so that it took us five minutes to Google that. Coastal Carolina. Joe Moglia. Uh, love the story of Joe Moglia. I love that I was able to tie it to a story from my book, uh, even though I didn't reference the book somehow. That's weird. I thought I did. Um, Joe Yukika, he, he makes the book. He was Dartmouth's head coach in the early 80s uh, when he got fired and sued the, uh, Dartmouth for breaching his contract for firing him a year early. He somehow won that lawsuit, got to come back to, to Dartmouth in 1986. He uh, then won like three or four games and retired, and, and everybody moved on with their lives. But the, his, his, his tenure at Dartmouth started to fail when he lost his defensive coordinator after the 1983 season. That defensive coordinator's name was Joe Moglia, whose last few employers have been Dartmouth Football, Merrill Lynch, TD Ameritrade, which really wasn't his employer because he was the CEO of TD Ameritrade, yep. um, the Omaha Nighthawks, and the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. I did not include uh, Bo Pelini uh, of, of the Nebraska Cornhuskers because he volunteered on Pelini's staff when he decided, you know what, I'm not done coaching, and came back to coaching after being CEO of TD Ameritrade. Um, I, I, I felt like I was being redundant in telling the story because I think a lot of people have heard it now. But, yeah. um, but regardless, it's amazing. It's amazing that he is the head coach of a college football team um, and now because he didn't really feel the need to go anywhere, he's the head coach of an FBS college football team, one that should actually do pretty well in the Sun Belt this year. Um, I met him very briefly when he was a volunteer assistant um, and was instantly struck by um, he, he's a, I wouldn't say he's a contrarian thinker, Bill. I just think that because of his background is so unorthodox, what's different about him isn't necessarily the fact that he zigs when everybody's act. I think it was just the fact that he was so accepted by the coaching community and having not been one of their own because man, they is clicky. Okay. <laughs> um, and then I talked with him, uh, for about 20 minutes last year at the Sunbelt media event. Um, it, just a one-on-one, there's not a lot of media at the Sunbelt media event. Um, and again, they went by the way, just as sort of a, a goodwill, I think it was kind of a goodwill gesture between coastal and the, and the conference. Obviously they're not, they weren't playing in the Sunbelt last year, but just more to kind of advance PR. Um, he's really sharp. He, it doesn't shock me at all that he got a head coaching job that is now technically division one FBS. Um, he, I don't think he'll be at coastal too long. However, I think that for people who have absolutely no context on, on coastal other than the story of this guy. And I think he had a book because the first time I ever encountered him, he was on the book tour and he did a really long segment on Feinbaum. He won Feinbaum over, which is really impressive because he's very much a Yankee. Um, Coastal is not going to be the plug-and-play App State Georgia Southern in the Sun Belt. Fair to say? I I mean, this is just my assumption having very, very briefly looked at them. They are better than 
either Appalachian State or Georgia Southern were their last year at FCS. That's the funny thing about that uh, the, the App State Georgia Southern thing. Like when they hit FBS, like in the previews I was writing, I'm like, damn, they they timed this completely wrong. They both faded last year. They weren't as good last year as they had been. And uh, Scott Satterfield's first year at App State was bad. Was not bad, but bad for Appalachian State at the FCS level. And so it felt like they got it all wrong. They, you know, Georgia Southern beat Florida that last year they were in FCS, but otherwise they had an injury crisis. They fell apart. They weren't all that great. They were like seven and four or something. So Coastal was a top 10 caliber FCS team last year. So technically they are ahead of where Southern and App State were when they hit FBS. It's just that those two teams had the right amount of experience to then hit FBS like they had never hit any bumps at all. And we kind of forgot that they, they stumbled at the end of their FCS tenure. So the, I, I, Coastal, I don't think their roster is in quite as good a shape as those teams because, uh, you know, with the with the preview stuff, with the the projection stuff that I do, we we find that receiver like the, the receiving core and the secondary are kind of the most important from an experience standpoint, and they they that's the two areas where they got a little bit hit by graduation this year. But otherwise, their run defense should be good. They've got like thirteen quarterbacks. They've got um, – they did lose a couple of running backs, but they've got uh, Boston College transfer and Marcus Outlaw, Outlaw uh, a kid named Osharmar Abercrombie, who averaged five and a half yards per carry last year. They have That's a sophomore. Uh, another beautiful name, Jamaine Martin, um, as in jaw hyphen Maine. Um, he averaged like six and a half per carry. They've got a lot of options. They've got um, – he, he brought in – Basically, Charleston Southern beat them in an overtime shootout last year. So on his way out the door, when he lost his offensive coordinator to Temple, he went in and took Charleston Southern's head coach as his new offensive coordinator, um, just like he got James Madison's former coach for his defensive coordinator. So it's kind of a FCS all-star team here. But, um, no, I think I, it, it'd, be, it'd be crazy to predict them to do what App State and Georgia Southern did because Georgia Southern and App State probably shouldn't have done what Georgia Southern and App State did. But I think, I mean, I think they projected like around 110 or 115. They have a very, very solid shot of getting to about six and six. I don't think they're bowl eligible, but I think they've got a good shot of, of hitting that 500 mark. I believe they're not bowl eligible. And I also believe that they can't contend for the conference title in their first right. year. Is that correct? Yeah. Because, yeah, because Georgia Southern couldn't in their first year. Yeah. Would have won it. Right. Would have won it. I, I think in my head, when I was writing the preview, in my head, every, we all agreed that that was so stupid that they changed the rule, but I don't think they actually changed the rule. Really interested to see how the addition of another seemingly more organized, seemingly more competitive program does to the the struggling FBS programs that are out there in the group of five. Um, I think yeah. right. I, I don't think like Louisiana Monroe folds up overnight, but I do think that. This is, I mean, there's no thing I can tell you. And I think they've said this. I mean, I think I've been told this on the record three or four times. Idaho and New Mexico State did not make sense for business for the Sun Belt. They had nowhere else to go. It was a quick marriage of convenience. And now Coastal makes a ton of sense. And I think if if there is uh, another addition coming down the pike, it's going to be Eastern Kentucky. Yeah. No secret why. It just makes a lot of sense. Oh, by the way, Eastern Kentucky, if you don't know, another very, very strong team in the FCS. Um, they took, um, oh, gosh, what was the guy at Ohio State? Defensive tackle. Was it Noah Spence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, they They are extremely good at, at becoming a landing spot for troubled, um, like, top, top FBS talent. 
I don't um, know if this is going to hurt anybody in the short term. It's just going to be interesting more in the long term because Coastal, to me, is already set up better financially and, and in terms of like facilities and competition than some of the other Sunbelt perennials. Yeah, and, and one of the other things that I find really interesting um, about the Sunbelt right now, and I realize that's a sentence I just said, and, and nobody's going to be surprised that I just talked about the things that interest me about the Sunbelt. I love the Sunbelt. What you talking about? So, so – uh, one of the other, so I've, I've previewed Coastal and then I previewed Texas State and Idaho, or excuse me, Texas State and ULM. Idaho's next week. Um, Texas State and ULM, hor- horrendous football teams last year, especially Texas State. I mean, they were ULM in, in, in my SP Plus rankings, ULM was third from the bottom and they were like 10 points ahead of Texas State in terms of that adjusted score. Texas State just, I mean, as I mentioned last week, like they, they, they knew they were super thin. They had a couple of key injuries and they were done. They were, they were absolute toast, but per two, four, seven, Texas state signed the number one recruiting class in the Sun Belt this year. And then ULM uh, somehow, I mean, this is very impressive. ULM uh, scored the number three recruiting class in the Sun Belt. So like the teams that do well, and I mean, we're not talking about the difference between like Alabama and Vanderbilt here in terms of recruiting success or anything like that, but still, the teams at the bottom of the Sun Belt are recruited better than like Appalachian State did, at least from a pure rating standpoint. Meanwhile, Coastal is another newcomer that comes in and could absolutely be the middle of the conference from day one. So it's kind of a weird time in the Sun Belt in terms of like the potential balance of power here moving forward. Now, Obviously, in the Sun Belt at all times, you're only as good as your next coaching hire, mm-hmm. and um, and so the it's not it's not like Appalachian State's won ten straight titles and Arkansas State's won ten straight titles or something. The balance of power today isn't the balance of power tomorrow, but still, like the coaches haven't changed that much, and we could still see kind of a weird, an interesting shift here over the next couple of years. I think there's a little bit less turnover. Bill, take a note. Uh huh. Sure. Yeah. On uh-huh. it. Um. I would assume that the turnover in the MAC is a little bit more consistent than the Sun Belt. Well, it, a lot of it depends on success. Um, I mean, you know, Willie Fritz left a couple of years ago from Georgia Southern, and obviously back when, a few years ago when they had like Taggart and a bunch of impressive names, somehow Hudspeth didn't leave then, and he probably should. Yeah, and, and I, what I'm trying to think in my head is who's who's the Hus uh, who is the Hudspeth of the MAC? I guess I would say. It was almost I mean, PJ Fleck, like Frank Solich. <laughs> That's an interesting, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Solich obviously isn't going anywhere. But he's um, the only one, I guess. I think maybe the maybe it's changing, but the tried and true method for for getting that job in the, in the Power Five before it was the Power Five for a long time was to go through the MAC, right? Like we can rattle off this long list. Maybe the Sun Belt is leaning towards that, and maybe that's a good thing for the Sun Belt. It's funny that you mentioned the Texas State and ULM uh, recruiting rankings. Uh, if you have to make a blanket statement about these programs, I think the best thing you can say that it, that captures almost every situation fairly and accurately is that Sunbelt schools work really, really well when they achieve the task of keeping whatever their state, whatever their hotbed pocket of talent, when when they retain just a little bit, just that extra percentage that, that keeps the two stars and maybe a three star from going to an out-of-state school in a bigger conference. That's really it. That's really it. Coaching certainly matters. Uh, Obviously, you have distinct philosophies, Southern being an option school, but that's basically it. Texas State, in a great position, totally makes sense for 
for that staff to go down there. Uh, ULM, money problems in Louisiana, but again, you can win football games with Louisiana talent. If you keep the Louisiana talent after, you know, obviously you're not going to beat the out-of-state SEC schools, but if you survive that, oh, LSU... Yeah, on a, on a, on a game-to-game basis, they might, but yeah, they haven't done that in a while either. Exactly, yeah. So, no, that's, I mean, that's I think the, the base. In terms of turnover in the Sun Belt, I think that was... That's more a bug than a feature that they haven't had as much lately because they haven't made as good. Once they lost Taggart, once they lost um, that that run of Arkansas State coaches, maybe the the hires they made weren't quite as good. Like Doug Martin in New Mexico State. Petrino at at Idaho has been all right. Um, Joey Jones at South Alabama. I I mean – I think that one will pay off in the future. The Petrino one you almost don't want to hold against them because of situations exceeding that – Situations that would exceed the ability or the the success of a coach. It doesn't yeah, really he, matter he, what Petrino was doing. He won a bowl last year, so I mean, he's yeah, he still did. done a pretty decent job. Um, Troy obviously is probably going to lose Neil Brown soon, but um, yeah, Satterfield at Appalachian State is kind of stuck. Like he he, I assume will move eventually, but he hasn't yet, and so yeah. they've that's been some continuity. Blake Anderson at Arkansas State has has. Uh, established some level of continuity, and I, I do think it helps them this year. They they were technically, on average, better than Conference USA in 2015. Um, yeah, we made bottom, a big deal about that on the show last year. I remember that. Yeah, and this year they were slightly worse than the than Conference USA. The bottom kind of dragged them down just enough, but you could technically see Appalachian State and Arkansas State doing well again this year. You could see Georgia Southern rebounding. I, Lord, for his sake, I hope they rebound. Um, oh yeah, Idaho. There, there is no other option. I, uh, oh man, <laughs> I was sorry. surprised he got sorry. That was a um, terrible, I, terrible pun. Idaho um, is probably going to be about the same as they were last year, unless they have a couple of injuries on the offensive line. Their offensive line has absolutely nobody, so that could be an issue. But Monroe will improve. Lafayette will probably stay about the same. South Alabama could improve, I think. Texas State will improve. Troy should be about the same. So I think, just on average, this is a better conference than it was last year. I asked somebody close to Paul Petrino about this whole situation when we were at AFCA. Not Petrino himself. And, uh, I was going to say, who's actually p- close to Paul Petrino, but go ahead. Short list. Um, <laughs> and I asked, I was, what's the plan for him? What, what do you do? How do you deal with this? You just get, get the hell out? Next Greyhound out of town? He said, no. You're thinking about it completely wrong. Idaho drops down next year, right? And then they kick butt. They are going to be good. <laughs> and it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that, that Petrino becomes a hot name based on maybe one or two years of being extremely dominant, of racking up 20-some-odd wins. It's kind of strange. We don't think about it. But FCS is not a death sentence. Not anymore for coaches. Now, it very much wasn't... I don't know death sentence is a little dramatic, but <laughs> FCS... Um, it was a label that was sewn on to coaches for a long time, and it's not that way anymore. If Wyoming's good again this year, I think a lot of people are going to start looking at the FCS for, for head coaching talent. Now, Craig well, Bull, I don't know if Craig Bull is, is, is the median coach that you get down there. Obviously, North Dakota State is not your average experience, but he can prove that he can win in a tough situation in a lower-tier school in the, in the G5. Yeah, I mean... The, the top FCS teams, from a budget perspective and a quality perspective, the top FCS teams would easily compete in the top half of Sunbelt, at least the middle of Conference USA, the middle of the MAC, at least. You know, North Dakota State would have won the MAC like five years in a row. Um, so 
you know, I, I mean, it, it in terms of what you can prove in terms of prowess and everything else, you, you can take slightly less resources, a lot fewer scholarships, and build a team that is about the same as what you would get in the, in the middle of the MAC or something. So, I mean, I, I think it makes perfect sense that I think they prove a lot uh, at those jobs if they can maintain a certain level. And, and now, I mean, if, if Coastal is terrible this year, then this proves all of it wrong, but I don't think they will be. Um, by the way, coach yourself to success. That is Joe Moglia's 2005. Yeah, uh, that's I'm, right. I'm going to call it a bestseller. It, um, <laughs> I mean, nobody's going to prove me wrong. And then Monty Burke wrote a book called Fourth and Goal, One Man's Quest to Recapture His Dream. Uh, that was about Moglia. So there you go. Yeah, there's a lot of PR on him for a while. Um, yeah, very interesting guy. Um, also, I don't know if he'll get a little quieter now that he's technically an FBS head coach, but um, had some pretty sharp commentary about the state of the financial affairs. Obviously, the man would know. Um, he was the guy, I may be talking out of turn here, and if somebody in the financial world wants to help and email us or tweet at us, he kind of kept TD Ameritrade alive during the 07 deal. He was pretty sharp in, in saving a lot of people's jobs and that company stayed functional I think throughout the recession um, yeah I think that's I, that all sounds right he and I think a couple other individuals were sort of kept them alive but he um, I asked him last year when I met him about some comments he made where coaches poor mouth about not having something not having enough you know and they have a 50 million dollar budget he backed off of it a little bit because I think he's starting to enter the rarefied air and doesn't want to upset anybody. You know, he's also making more connections. This is what happens. But um, he was for a while kind of an outspoken critic of coaches that would pour mouth with these in, in, and you know just astronomically large budgets. And so he was a guy who looked at the the whole arms race and kind of laughed. So that when I say contrarian thinker, that is refreshing to hear. I don't know if he'll keep that opinion. Yeah, I mean, up. I. It's not necessarily that he has to be contrarian, just so much as his background is different, and so his 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 mean his strings of analysis are just different, and uh, sometimes that'll that'll reach pretty fun conclusions. By the way, shout out to Bo Pelini. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm serious. Like, I I really can't impart. I know Mowgli is a unique guy. He's very intelligent. Obviously, worth financial world. Like he knows what he's doing. It is beyond rare that someone gets the opportunity that he got at Nebraska to get back in on the ground floor to learn things. Yeah. It That just doesn't happen, okay? People claw and scratch and fight for these non-paying gigs because it's so hard. And most people are, you know, 26 when they do it because you essentially have to try and not, you know, don't starve. And for him to do this, obviously he was financially set. But again, that door is usually just slammed shut and locked. So... Um, I don't know. Maybe he refinanced uh, Pelini's house or something. <laughs> hey, whatever it takes. Um, Bo Pelini, by the way, um, what, how many years has he been a head coach? Uh, let's say like three, three, six, seven, nine uh, years. Yeah, as a he head left. Coach. The, he left after the LSU title with less as DC. I just remember that. Yeah. No. He's yeah. So he's he was seven years in Nebraska, two at Youngstown State. He's won fewer than nine games once. Um, and by the way, and and. Uh, I didn't say anything about this because I didn't want to be mean, but the the rumors where Kentucky was looking for a new DC and they're like, "Hey, Bo Pelini makes a lot of sense." No, he went to Youngstown State so he could remain a head coach. Like he he could have gotten an FBS head co- uh, DC job two years ago, but he wanted to be a head coach. So until Mark Stoops gets fired, or unle- until or unless because he did pretty well last year, um, 
Bo Pelini's not going to Lexington. That, that was a crazy rumor that I did not understand at all. Um, but anywho. Well, I never heard that from anybody I trusted or anybody. I mean, that no, was, no, no, no. That, it, sort, it was, of, that sort of breathed life on the internet and was dumb for a little right, bit. Right, exactly. It was that. an internet and, and radio thing that just started floating around, but I, I, I didn't want to be me. Radio? Nuh-uh. <laughs> and if you're lucky, you follow certain radio people on Twitter, so you get it both. Uh, mm-hmm. I can report. I always love that one. Um, all right, I'll stop being mean. Uh, Bill, we have a metric ton of questions that our yes. loyal readership has sent in because I requested them to, and then we we didn't hit it for, I think, three or four episodes <laughs> in a row. Uh, I'm a dick like that. Uh, where do you want to start? Uh, Brett Larder. Our friend Brett Larder, nine days ago, says, since it's almost signing day, whoops, uh, that means it's almost time to pick out the most fun G5, P5 matchup of next season. I attached a spreadsheet. Hell yes. Uh, I attached a spreadsheet of all the the home games. Each P5 is hosting a lower-level team. I put FCS and military schools in red, since I don't feel it's right to pretend I went to Navy the way I feel it's right to pretend I went to App State. All right. Um, (laughs) My favorite games from the spreadsheet in terms of home environment, G5 interest, and chance the G5 team will win are Temple Notre Dame. I don't think Temple wins that game, but you never know. Uh, UAB Florida. App State Georgia. Arkansas State, Nebraska, Wyoming, Iowa, Louisiana Tech, South Carolina, New Mexico State, Arkansas, Idaho, Missouri. Sorry, Bill. No, that, 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 uh, Georgia Southern, Auburn. Broken. So, um, okay, and so his rubric was these were games where he thought upset was a, at least a possibility. Well, uh, upset's a possibility slash just interesting. Uh, yeah, home environment, G5 interest, et cetera. Hmm. Um, I will say right now, Missouri's not going to lose to Idaho because I don't think Idaho's going to. I think by midseason, Idaho's going to have like three scholarship offensive linemen. But anyway. Um, um, spoken like see. a man writing an Idaho preview this week. Um, <laughs> um, cool. So you got, you know, another one. If we're talking about pure upset potential, uh, Boston College hosting Central Michigan should be on the list. <clears throat> um in terms of quality, yeah, what, Alan, what kind of game day environment are you going to get on yeah, Chestnut yeah, Hill? That's, that's very true. Sorry. Uh, in terms of quality, Alabama's not going to lose to Colorado State, but Colorado State might be the second or third best mid-major next year, so that could be at least, uh, you know, a high-quality game. Uh, Bobo quits himself well. You get out of there without getting injured, and then, yeah, you move on. San Diego State, Arizona State wouldn't even be an upset, uh, upset this year, but San Diego State has to replace a lot. Uh, Coastal Arkansas, I mean, I don't think Coastal's going to win that game, but Arkansas, I mean, it's November, and Arkansas is either going to be trending way up or trending way down by that point. You never really know in advance. They'll be uh, world beaters by November. Uh, but no, I don't think Coastal's, no. Um, when is La Tech, South Carolina? Uh, that's a very good question. Yeah, because we do have to decide now. Kind of feel uh, the feels on that one. We have committed ourselves. I know, and I haven't even thought about it at all. But we have committed ourselves, in theory, to going to one of these games next year. Yeah. Uh, South Carolina. What's going to happen is some newsy thing, some less miles fired equivalent thing is going to happen, yeah. and then I'm going to disappoint everybody. By September ghosting. 23rd uh, is South Carolina, Louisiana Tech, right? And, I, it, Con- and it's, in, it's in South Carolina. Yes. Right Which between Kentucky at South Carolina and South Carolina at A&M. Okay. Well, it's fair to ask. Louisiana Tech occasionally pulls SEC home games. Looking at you, Mississippi State. Um, ba, 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 ba. I like that one, I think. 
None of these are jumping out at me yet. I, I don't. Maybe I haven't found faith in a mid major where I, I think someone. I mean, probably Central Michigan on that list, I guess. Yeah. And you added that. Um. I mean, hey, I mean, if Michigan uh, State doesn't really get its act together, Western Michigan's on the schedule. Arkansas oh, no. State. No. Wait, are we starting D'Antonio hot seat right now? I, I said nothing I mean, about a hot seat. I understand that we need to get through February, but I didn't realize we were breaking into the emergency reserves. Um, <laughs> kind of terrifying thought. Um, and, of course, Montana State, Washington State, because, well, that's what Washington State does. Is Montana State capable of doing that? Let's, uh, tell, I, I know you don't. I, you haven't researched Montana State, but just that's not going to happen. Uh, well, of course it could happen, but Montana State isn't Montana. Uh, Montana right. State last year in Sagarin was – Montana State and Sagarin was right between Fresno State and Buffalo last year. So okay. that, that's, that's lower than Eastern Washington slash Portland State typically are. But it's, top, it's, it's, it's higher than Buffalo. It's higher than Texas State. Uh, they would not have been last in FBS. Let's put it that way. That's all the proof I need, Bill. Um, I don't know if anything jumps off the list yet. I think it, is it a little too early? Well, of course. It's, it's no, I, I mean more more in terms of not, not us planning the trip. But. Ooh, Southern Miss, Tennessee. Ooh. <laughs> and a hush falls over the podcast. <laughs> um, I mean, the purpose <clears throat> of this trip was for me to finagle somewhere interesting as a, as a location. Nothing right, is Knoxville, <laughs> Knoxville, but it's two and a half hours away, and I've been there a hundred times. Um, hmm. Hmm. This is where I want to start badgering you about preview questions I know you haven't gotten to yet. I tell you what, I always end up at the Tennessee spring game just because it's so close. Okay. Put a pin in that one. <laughs> Put a, maybe we come back to Brett after after the spring games. We start to get a feel of if we can sense or or or, or get some destruction vibes from anybody. But I mean, right now maybe. South Carolina, Louisiana Tech. How much did Louisiana Tech lose, though? Quite a bit. They they probably won't be yeah. as good next year. But at the same time, um, they have continued to exceed whatever my expectations are of them. So at this point, I just give Skip Holtz the benefit of the doubt that they'll be pretty and good. And you know what he's going to do to reward you? 1-11. in 11. No, he's going to take some job that he really shouldn't That's take. Right. That's right. And then repeat the cycle come over again. And then he'll go to some other, I don't even know what school would be comparable in situation to Louisiana Tech, but he'll do that and be a powerhouse. The cycle continues. Um, phew, man. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say Louisiana Tech, South Carolina. How about that? Okay. We'll just, we'll just kind of we'll, we'll kind of hold that there. Um, I, I'm open, by the way, to anyone else's better suggestion. Um, Brent Joplin. Hey there, Brent. I uh, hope this is the right email for PA Pin questions. Love the show. By the way, I don't know. Is it? Did you find the right email? I did, I did not get this email, so. Well, you got guess half. what? You know what? It's like the maze in Westworld. Got to figure it out. No spoilers. I'm I'll, I'll take your word for that. I, I have no idea. I don't uh, watch TV. Love the show. Here's the question. There's a growing faction of Florida fans that are getting out their pitchforks for McIlwain due to the embarrassing effort on the recruiting trail thus far. Um, by the way, thus far, email dated January 25th. So skip, 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 skip. Um... Scott Strickland has publicly had to spout BS about stars not mattering to defend Mac. 
Can poor recruiting hasten a firing before the results have translated on the field yet? Will an AD be more quick to pull the trigger on a firing of a poor recruiter than he ordinarily would because he knows the cupboard is bare, even if the coach won division titles his first two years? Go Gators. Thank you for your email. Brent, Bill, how many years are we away from a post-signing day firing because of, because of signing day? Well, first, um, I mean, I think that could only really happen at like 10 or 12 places, maybe 15. Just the places where that, are, that where the not only the fans, but the, the, the administrators can legitimately expect to, to sign a top class every year. Second, Agreed. Florida is number eight in two-year recruiting. They are fine. I, 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 I understand what Florida State's doing, but it, it, they're, they're fine. Can I they're counterpoint? Fine. Can I counterpoint? Do some they're old fine. school crossfire. They're fine. Who was the first liberal on crossfire? I was going to say I'll be Pat Buchanan just because I remembered his name. Was it Bill Paul Bacala? I don't know. I think Bill Press might have been. Yeah, you're right. Counterpoint. He's not even. He's not even liberal. Anyway. Who? Bacala? Buchanan. I know. I said I, he was the only name I remember. I said who was his liberal counterpart? Oh, okay. Counterpoint. So, yeah, no, it was Bill Press and uh, Dracula Novak. Anyway, go ahead. Here's why it matters. Yes, they're whatever in your two year whatever. Okay. Uh, every single coach I talk to talks about Florida or their connect. If they're in Florida or they recruit against Florida or they go to, they, if they're one of the guys that the school sends to Florida, they're talking about the university of Florida right now, underachieving in recruiting. So your number's correct, obviously, but perspective is everything. And stigma is weird because I think I'm going to take the Pepsi challenge here. It's not really a challenge. I'm just stating an opinion. Recruiting. National Signing Day and the hullabaloo thereabouts is a little bit more of a thing in Florida than even Texas. I'm sure. Because I think Texas is, I think the actual high school football part is a bigger thing in Texas as an independent entity where the, the, the bracketed state playoffs and all that. Whereas I think Florida high school football almost exists much more to, I think culturally people talk about Florida high school football in the context of who is going to be a star at the next level. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. That being said, so to me, it's the, it's the state that pays the most attention to the recruiting stuffs and Florida is losing a battle locally in optics. It does matter. McIlwain. They were 10th in recruiting this year. 10th. Okay. Actually, no, what I'm going to say is I'm going to repeat I need to go back and check the transcripts. Okay, transcripts don't exist of last week's show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to take everything I said about Tom Herman, mm-hmm. and I'm going to replace. Yeah, but it I agree you. with you there, and don't agree with you on this one. Because I'm going to try and figure out why. The, the first issue for Florida, before they can even worry about recruiting rankings, is living up to the recruiting rankings. Like until they get like so. Okay, they're they're eighth in two year. They were tenth in the two four seven rankings this last year. Oh no, God forbid, they're whole, they're tenth. Like let's get up to where they are um, eighth, and then they're signing the number fifteen class. That's when recruiting will matter for them. Until they can actually live up to the recruiting rankings they have, then recruiting doesn't matter. And if you want to fire Jim McElwain, which I mean, I'm I'm not uh, overwhelmed by Jim McElwain, but I mean, if you want to fire Jim McElwain, that's crazy. But go ahead. The problem um, is, Bill, you're not overwhelmed by him. That's and that's fine. He's been there two years. He's signing top eight to twelve recruiting classes. He was twelfth in 2016 and and tenth this year. And like I said, eighth over the last two years combined. He's fine. Florida may, in terms Florida of may recruiting. have recruiting. 
Florida may have the worst, best fan base I've ever met. Not because I'm beset by them at work all the time. Maybe, maybe because of that. I don't know. All, 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 all of the false, uh, the, the, the false. Oh, woe begone misery of having only seen three yeah. national championships in my lifetime. And having only been 15th in S&P last year, yeah, and only winning nine games. Oh, right. well, much chance destroyed and sullied our lands. Uh, Florida is lazy as a fan base. Their expectation is astronomical. <laughs> Their tradition doesn't reach that far back. They are spoiled rotten. And McIlwain on paper is doing fine. But fine is not good enough in Gainesville. It just isn't. I know it doesn't make sense. I know when you line it up on a ranking, you know what? A terrible year in Gainesville is astronomically better than a good year in Starkville in recruiting and player development. But also, you're in Florida. Tim Tebow won you a bunch of national titles and an astronomical amount of a new, fresh set of PR post-Spurrier-Werfel era, okay? You have to constantly live up to that. Muschamp failed miserably. McIlwain, as a steady, consistent replacement, may be the Muschamp of offense. We don't know yet. They lost Jeff Collins, and also, they're a Darius Geist decision away from not going to -to back-to-back SEC (laughs) championships to get raked by Alabama. I said raked. Um... I was about to say. If LSU ha- doesn't botch a play call, how many times can we say that about life? You know, if LSU, um, <laughs> if, 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 if if guys if, doesn't run, I mean, allegedly run the wrong run the wrong way on the on the touchdown play that ends the game. That it is not a touchdown play. Florida wins the game. If the sky wasn't blue, nah, but that's a small one, man. That's a small one to me. Believe me, I, I, I try not to do the hypotheticals too much, but that's a small one because LSU had dominated that game so much. Oh, oh God. Yeah. My head hurts. Ah! Oh, okay. I don't know why I just did that. That's weird. Um, <coughs> talk, talking about teams blowing leads. Um, um, so it, look, all right. Focus, focus, focus. Don't cry. Uh, Florida has a, has a level of expectations, and when they when they do have years of regression, or they don't, they aren't a consistent standard comparable to Alabama. Right? They have to win in February, and he's not. I know that doesn't make sense. Go ahead and tell me. Florida won 11 games the last two years under Muschamp. They've averaged nine and a half under McIlwain. Now I realize he, I mean, he's not Mer- he's not Urban Meyer. I understand. Like I'm not I'm not being willfully blind here. He's not Urban Meyer. He's not going to be Urban Meyer. Uh, but he is in in two years he has taken a team that won 11 games in 2013 14. He's won 19 in 2015 16. He is recruiting <clears throat> one more time at a top 10 level. I don't. I don't give two craps about the S, the East Division t- titles. That's like that's like thirteenth on the on the resume for w- if I'm trying to defend. Well, neither it. do Florida fans, right? Uh, so I mean, I don't even care about that. But he's won. He took a program that w- that had fallen apart. I mean, you know, still was signing pretty good recruiting classes under Muschamp, obviously. But they went eleven and thirteen in 2013-14. They're nineteen and eight in 2015-16. And you got a couple more years of that before you can even worry about nine wins not being enough. Uh, All I'm going to say. And and nine win seasons and top 10 recruiting classes not being enough there. I, you know, if they want to, if they want to go crazy, maybe it'll work out for them like it did for Bama. If they want to figure out who the next Saban is and go offer him $7 million a year or something. Um, But they, I'm Jeff Burkhart. 
January 21st. This is where, like, me being a fan of a second-tier school, it helps me in this case because okay. screw you and your top 10 recruiting class concerns. I'm really sorry for you, uh, Missouri, to sign the number 50 class. Jeff Burkhart, uh, podcast questions is the subject line. Okay. P-A-P-N. Okay. First off, I want to commend you both for the work that you put into each week to produce the show. The combination of Godfrey's rhetoric with Bill's numbers, because I don't speak, um, helps paint and, an image. And I don't do any rhetoric. I would love to get your take on a couple of questions. I'm a fairly recent Kansas State grad who is justifiably concerned about my school's football future. Why? Uh, I wanted to... <laughs> I wanted to start with the head coach position. Bill Snyder has obviously done amazing things in Manhattan, but he will not be around forever. I actually disagree at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm starting like, to think he like will an be around You think maybe just a <laughs> eternal lifespan? What are you thinking here? Um, yeah, I mean, he's got at least another 15 years in him. Uh, the fact that he is more or less holding our athletic director hostage by not stepping down until his son, Sean, gets the head coaching oh, job is worth noting. That's, yeah. Uh, something about okay. these head co- these these coaches sons by the way that you know really screw things up never works Bowden, Bowden. um the older don't uh the older alum slash donors are content with that transition even though sean is a special teams coach who never had a job outside of manhattan i'd like to see the program go a different direction we've dumped over 200 million dollars into our football stadium slash facilities over the last few years and have several more projects on tap We've been one of the best in the quote-unquote modern Big 12. Collectively, I feel like the program has reached a point where it appears much more attractive to up-and-coming coordinators and or G5 coaches uh, looking to get into the P5. I'd be interested to hear how both of you perceive the Kansas State job. Where do you think it ranks in, uh, of all P5 jobs, and how many G5 jobs oh, would you rank ahead of KSU? Second question. Actually, no, let's stop there. Well, yeah, let's that, answer that. questioning. Um, yeah. I don't worry about ranking it. It's not really our style. But let me yeah. – uh, I, okay, can I, let me just say this up front before you give the smart answer. Um, I know yeah, – That's a lot of pressure. I know Ron Prince hurt you. <laughs> that doesn't mean that every other non-Bill Snyder coach is going to hurt you, okay? There are good coaches in the world who aren't going to completely burn down your house and ruin your credit and kill your dog, okay? Um, it's going to take some time for you to trust again and love again. But it is entirely possible. I don't know who that coach is right now. Occasionally I hear things. Nothing I'd really put a ton of stock into right now because I do believe that the old man, as he's called by, by other head coaches who don't like the fact that he's still beating them, uh, the old man is, is not really showing any signs of stepping down. I don't know about the whole hostage son situation. I do know that every time that happens in football with the transition, it never works. It's always a mess. Maybe he's smarter than that. Well, and I mean, nepotism they, is a tough thing, though. It, it wouldn't. Well, nepotism is a tough thing. And then, and last time they aimed for a complete break, and it didn't work out very well. So um, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Right, but I don't. I think that means his son is the the answer. Well, I mean, I'm saying I could see how they might think that his son is the yeah, answer. The, that's true. The quote unquote the collective they who's making this decision. Uh, you could also see, um, you know, uh, Dana Dimmel or somebody who's just been around a while and maybe has a little head coaching. Or, you know, freaking go try to throw $5 million a year at Brent Venables. Um, if you want to kind of keep the, that, that, that is a different kind of nepotism. But um, probably the better kind. I don't know if Venables would be interested. Um, yeah, I mean, at this point, I, we have no evidence that he actually ever wants to be a head coach, period. But. Um, well, and I think there's there's some behind the scenes stuff with some frustration he had with the university. The name I hear a lot is Jim Levitt. Yep, that's another one. Jim. I mean, that's, he has a hell of a coaching tree. 
Yeah. You're, you're not going to get Brett Bielema, but, you know, yeah, a, a Levitt or somebody like that, I mean, I, that could absolutely work. He's certainly done his, for lack of a better term, rehab time. I know it's uh, not insightful podcasting or, or particularly, you know, newsy, but no, we. I, I can't sit here and tell you I think it's going to be X. Like, I, I've heard Levitt's name, but Levitt just took us out. Uh, Levitt just took the Oregon. I just saw him last week. Um, he's going to be there for a minute. Um, he's also being compensated very well for his work at Oregon. Um, he might. T- I, I'm not saying he wouldn't leave for the head job, but um, a- as of this moment, I don't think that he's. He didn't. I don't think he took Oregon to wait on Kansas State. Uh, no. I'll put it that way. And yeah, so it's it's not good news or, or it's not good podcasting for me just to say I think it's going to be fine when it happens, but I can't tell you who it is right now. But that's my answer. Mike Stoops did okay at Arizona for a little while. I mean, there 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 are options. Oh, hire Mike Stoops. I, I'm just saying he. There are options if you want to kind of keep it in the quote unquote family without going with with Bill Snyder's actual son. Because that is, I mean, you could make like I, I could make a case. I don't know. I've never talked to Sean Snyder. I've never. Uh, we we don't know that he's Terry Bowden or or Tommy Bowden. We don't. There, there's nothing saying that just because it didn't work, it can't work. And you could say that maybe he strips it down and tries to basically pull off a Bill Snyder from about 1989, where he brings in a bunch of young guys and and you know mm-hmm. yada. I mean, it could work. It, it could technically work because it could, but, um, or you can just start fresh. Cause that's what 95% of schools do. And it usually, yeah. I mean, that you has have, the probability. You do have a Jim Levitt and, and you do, if, I mean, these guys didn't succeed uh, at the same level, but and, you do have a Dana Demmel and a Mike Stoops and guys yeah. who work for Bill Snyder in town. By the way, shades um, of gray bill. I mean, we should kind of police ourselves on this. I, I don't think it's as black and white as just saying, it's his son or it's a fresh start. All the people right. we've mentioned, it's not like they're going to come in up in the Kansas State tradition or necessarily change the larger function of what makes K-State successful. I, I don't think it's that, you know, it's just not a binary move. I think that one of the reasons Levitt is attractive is, is I think he would utilize a lot of what made Snyder great. Yeah. Uh, and we can real quickly go through this one because I think we've kind of discussed it before. His second question. Okay. Um... When realignment, uh, you know, this is regarding K-State's overall standing in the college football spectrum. Okay. When realignment talks inevitably resurface, K-State always seems to be on the proverbial bubble when it comes to having a spot in the quote-unquote super conference format. Uh, That's a tough pill to swallow considering we've ostensibly had a top 25 to 30 program for the last three decades. I know realignment has everything to do with media market size and money and so forth. K-State is reasonably close to my home in Kansas City, but I can confidently tell you we take a backseat to just about every other area sports team. Royals, Chiefs, KU basketball, Mizzou, and it's competitive. Hey, Uh, the question is twofold. If and when the Big 12 implodes, does Kansas State have a landing spot within a super conference? Do you think a seismic shift would occur in which longtime P5 schools like KSU, Iowa State, Texas Tech, and others would be ousted uh, in favor of commuter commuter schools in huge markets with giant alumni bases? So Cincinnati, Houston, USF, UCF, etc. If you guys have thoughts on what P5 teams are on the bubble Mm -hmm. versus what G5 teams might be invited, I'd love to hear them. Um, Uh uh, yeah, sure, because I, st- I, I don't think I have an answer, actually, but go ahead. Yeah, so the area, so he's right, um, it, it, it's no secret. The area of concern are, are the, current, um, the current P5s in the Big 12 that don't occupy Texas or Oklahoma. Broad strokes there. So um, Kansas State, Iowa State, Kansas, um, I think to some degree Oklahoma State. Texas um, Tech. Texas Tech to some degree 
I think those last <laughs> Baylor, if it can't stop screwing things up. Well, as well. the thing about Texas Tech and Oklahoma State is OSU will likely survive because of Oklahoma and the political affiliations in the state of Oklahoma, right? Because Oklahoma, Oklahoma actually becomes the center of the universe the way Nebraska was last time because they will, we think, be the free agent that creates, creates the, the cascading effect. And then we think Oklahoma State would be paired with them for logical reasons. A lot of in-state politics when this stuff happens, okay? So that leaves you with Iowa State and the Kansas schools, essentially. I don't know what to do with Baylor. I don't know. Texas Tech I don't include in here because Texas Tech has quietly built, uh, again, political connections in the state to hopefully survive whatever's coming. Now, if we're talking about total implosion of the Big 12 – like it, it ceases to exist, and we go to four conferences. Right. I think that involves Texas being an independent, and I think it involves Oklahoma going to the Southeastern Conference, and then everyone else. It's in my opinion is up for debate. Yeah, I think that's where hypothetically Kansas and the basket Kansas with basketball carrying it would right. go to the Big Ten because I think Kansas is a um, certified research institute. I think they would have the academics to pull that off. I think so. Um, they would they would make a move kind of similar to Nebraska and would probably be paired with Nebraska in certain ways in the way you sort of market that. Um, it's a real concern for Kansas State, and there's nothing they can do about it. It's not about yeah. winning football games. It's not. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, on the flip side, if it was win- about winning football games, Houston would be in the Big Twelve. <laughs> right. I mean, I think, yeah, I really struggle. Like, I, you know, obviously because of the first couple of rounds of realignment and the impact it had on my fandom and whatnot, like, I had a, like, I got pretty good at, like, projecting things forward a little bit or at least being able to kind of see the scenarios. But here in, like, whatever it is, eight, ten years, that grant of rights expires for the Big 12. Mm -hmm. And things haven't gotten better. And Oklahoma says, you know what, screw this. I'm t- we're tired of, you know, carrying this conference, which, I mean, who knows what it'll be like in 10 years. But I know OU fans are starting to grumble about the other Big 12 schools not quite carrying their weight uh, in terms of uh, football prowess and whatnot. Mm. Um, mm. You know, if they, if they get to the point where they're like, you know what, we're tired of, we're, we're, you know, the, the SEC is starting to look pretty good, or even the Big 10. And OU leaves and Texas and or Texas uh, has decided to do the independent thing or the next round of TV whatever makes it to where joining the ACC as the 16th team with Notre Dame or something is on the table or the Big Ten whatever when Oklahoma and Texas if or when Oklahoma and Texas decide to leave I really struggle to figure out what happens next because I can't figure out what the Big Big Ten or the ACC or the Pac-12 how they would react. Like Pac-12, we've talked about this before, unless they're going to expand to like Hawaii and Japan, their options of expansion are limited. Uh, and if they can't, you know, maybe they're willing to, to take on Texas with the LHN or something because Pac-12 Network five, six, eight years from now is even worse shape or whatever. Um, I'm not, not predicting impossible. that. Huh? That's not impossible. Keep going. Yeah. I'm not predicting it, but I mean, it, let's we'll say it's on the table. So maybe maybe they still decide eventually to to create a Pac-16 with Texas, and maybe that you know because of politics that pulls in Texas Tech as well. And and you know if they look for two more, maybe Oklahoma State, maybe the Kansas schools are on the table for that. I don't know. 
Um, but it could just really we don't we think the ACC would be interested in in Kansas as well because of basketball, the Big Ten because of academics. Um, maybe that means Kansas State gets pulled with them. Maybe it means the exact opposite, and they don't want two Kansas schools. It's just like I get I, I just get stuck. I I don't know what happens next. Yeah, I think you're frozen now. Yeah, I think the grant of rights when the grant of rights expires. I, I kind of hope they just extend it because I do feel for Kansas State. Like, they're screwed by geography as much as anything, and that's not really fair. Um, but, you know, if that if they, if they the Big 12 implodes, I have no idea what happens after that. The frustrating thing I can say, I've written about this. I, report, I mean, I reported on this back in October. This was a self-inflicted wound if it, if it comes to fruition. Maybe fatal. Because there were schools, specifically the non-Texas schools, that fought against the concept of having to compete against another Texas school in Houston. Yeah. Houston bothered a lot of people. I know that the bravado involved and, you know, they were very fearless in how they marketed themselves. And, uh, you know, Tom Herman was unbeatable there for a minute. Um, Yeah, it's funny. It wasn't Oklahoma that that was that worried. It was was the kind of old Big 12 North counterparts. Not the, and, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Community. Oklahoma State was vocal about it, too. Right. Yeah. They may be the ones who suffer the most for the fact that they didn't realign and yeah. redo their rights deal and create strength in numbers. Bill, this is why I go to the Big 12 Media Days every year, because it's <laughs> always a train wreck. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel bad for Kansas State fans. You can certainly, especially, like I said, Oklahoma State was the loudest, but, yeah, the whole resisting Houston thing was the ultimate, absolute ultimate in short-term versus long-term. Like, oh, no, that, that might hurt us in Houston recruiting. Oh, oh no, you might not be a power conference team much longer. Um, Good question. Yeah. Kansas State, perpetually interesting, not just for a PAPN audience, but um, <laughs> it's, it's one of the few schools where you can talk about them in terms of the politics with the Big 12 stuff, um, the inordinate way that they build their success, and then also, you know, they're kind of a, they're they're kind of a, a mystery almost in the longevity that that Bills had. We talk about coaching; it does it really just doesn't make sense anymore by the standards in which we we watch coaches come and go, succeed and fail. It just doesn't make sense. I mean that in a really good way, by the way. Yeah, Ollie O'Connell from a uh, an email address that ends with dot nz. Nice, <laughs> that's awesome. Hello, you spoke... Oh, this is just to me, so you didn't get this one. All right, so you spoke about, in your last podcast, about how Hawaii should scout Japanese universities for hidden gems. This is from January 19th. My question is... I said that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, My question is, why don't college football teams in the ever-escalating recruiting arms race scout the South Pacific nations of New Zealand and Australia? And I know where you're going to go, but hold on one second. Um... Colleges only really get punters from there, with but with rugby being the biggest sport in New Zealand, <laughs> yeah, uh, and various versions of rugby dominating the sporting culture of several regions of Australia, why don't they ever target athletic, talented rugby players? These kids not only have grown up tackling, but tackling properly due to the absence of a helmet, and yet the sport is far, far safer than American football in parentheses. Uh, these kids can run with a ball, catch a ball, kick a ball as well as anyone. Further, positional groups in rugby are compatible with those in football, i.e. props in rugby could become offensive linemen in football, wingers in rugby could become wide receivers in football. Seriously, YouTube, uh, quote, best NRL tries or, or, quote, NRL big hits, and you see what I mean. And he sent a couple examples as well. Um, that sounds like a cool email. 
Yeah, I, I you know, I, I you know the the kicking thing is obvious. Like that's, and, and I know you have read about this, and I think written a little bit about it. Um, the the basically the um, the the service that sends Australian punters to America. It's a slave camp. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So kickers are, explain themselves, um, but I it's expensive to go to New Zealand. I don't want to so, be the talk radio guy here, but when people tell me about how it's not as dangerous a sport and all, there's a reason, and it's not the rules. The reason, by and large. And, and I've watched this sport, and I respect the hell out of it, and it's awesome. And if it's on idly, and, and I would much rather watch that than some American sports, to be totally yeah. honest. So I don't mean <laughs> to be disrespectful when I say this. And, and and also, let me continue to hedge what I'm about to say. I don't rule out the possibility of football looking a hell of a, American football looking a hell of a lot more international in the coming years. Um, there's just a lot more international interest in general. Kind of start first from a business perspective, but then also I think the fans are catching up. As I've said on the show before, I went to London for one of those NFL games. Um, They're not as big and fast. That's where the injury thing comes from. By and large, the guys in Aussie rules and rugby and uh, both versions of English rugby are not as large and fast. Um, That doesn't mean they couldn't play American football. That doesn't mean that that their skill set couldn't be adapted to find, uh, you know, some sort of service, serviceable means for, for making a roster. But by and large, Amer- the American football athlete is just bigger and faster. I um, agree when it comes to linemen. But like Jared Hayne, that dude who played for the 49 he was like 6'3", 225 or something like that. Like yeah, but that isn't he, but kinda, wasn't he known as an outlier because of that? I don't, I don't remember. I just remember him, him being really good. But... Um, but I, I think you could like the the H back linebacker uh, receiver kind of area is on the table. Yeah. Uh, ru- running back, I think those are on the table. Uh, I mean, obviously you're not you're not dealing with six, seven, three hundred twenty five pounders very often in rugby uh, in yeah. New Zealand. So yeah, the line I think would be an issue. But I mean, I I would say that certain certain height weight combinations could still translate. I, I just think I think the biggest thing is nobody's gonna go to New Zealand to scout potential football players. You have to bring them to the States. Well, uh, necessity, so necessity being the mother of all invention, I think maybe uh, Maritz Berenger, the wide receiver who's on the practice squad for the Vikings right now, when I interviewed right. him last year, um, you know, it's if more of him show up and there's an effect, I mean, it's yeah. a copycat league, right? That's what they always right. say. That's the lazy thing. It's a copycat league. Uh, it only takes one inarguable success by region at, at a particular position for everyone to start doing it. That, by the way, that's how Aussie punters got here. They started being good. <laughs> yeah. And everyone was like, go to Australia and get a punter because Australia is pretty far away too. And that didn't deter anybody because they started to see noticeable differences in hang time and also a more physical athlete at the kicking and punting position. And oh, yeah. They followed suit, so um, totally possible in the short term. Maybe not as likely, um, but I'm more excited that we got an email from New Zealand. That's really awesome. Yeah, I'd yeah, love no, to visit it, your country one day. Yeah, you need somebody to succeed, and you need to have people at those, you know, like AFCA in those meetings having a booth saying, "Hey, come see our New Zealand athletes," and you know, then it goes from there. Also, maybe you don't want this. Maybe you don't want this. Anybody thought about that? No, I'm serious. Do you want all your athletes playing that? I mean, 
people would argue me all the time about the World Cup in soccer, and they would say, well, you know, if, if America trained its best athletes to be soccer players, we would dominate. And I said, yeah, but do you want that? Do you want to lose all that? I mean, do you? they're like, oh, if we had Kobe and LeBron out there, I'm like, yeah, but aren't you an NBA fan? Do you, do you <laughs> right. want to give that up? Uh, one really, really quick one that we can end with here, uh, our friend Scott, but I'm trying to get through as many old emails as possible. Cause I feel bad that we didn't, uh, get too many, but, um, I'll, I'll address part of it. Uh, our friend Scott Butler, um, from Folly Beach, South Carolina, Folly uh, Beach. question, he spelled it Folly. So, Oh, uh, it's South Carolina. I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was thinking of Alabama. I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> Uh, question regarding SDSU with the Chargers gone and SDSU now playing, planning to build quote unquote campus West at the Mission Valley site that will allow for a quote unquote on campus stadium mm-hmm. and the expansion of the university. Do you think San Diego State will be able to be the best G5 program year in, year out? Um, he also asked about breaking down San Diego State's schedule. We'll save that for Mountain West preview time, but um, generally speaking, is kind of interesting. San Diego State, if, if we're looking at potential, potential, potential anything, um, San Diego State has an opportunity, I guess. You know what San Diego State sucks at? Drawing people. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, they're, inside the industry, there's a clear line like that connects programs like Boise and Houston and Cincinnati, and that's really, really good public relations, SIDs, marketing people, there, there's not, it's no secret why I end up at some of those schools that I've talked about writing about interesting winning football teams. That's because they're aggressively trying to get the word out. San Diego State seems to be the exact opposite. And their coaching staff is, is kind of quiet and reserved. And I'm not saying that's wrong or right, but I'm just telling you that the, the profile of San Diego State is really low down, like compared to the schools I just mentioned. They need to do a better job with themselves. They need to yeah. do, they need to get out, I mean, I think it's criminal how under-recognized Pumphrey was, and I don't think that that's necessarily the fault of ESPN or people like us. I think you have to go out and contact people and get the word out. I think Adam Kramer Bleacher did a piece on him. It was pretty good. But by and large, if they want to be serious about this kind of stuff, they need to act serious about this kind of stuff. Because right now, SMU is more aggressive about their national profile than San Diego State is. Yep. There you go. Football's good. I don't, I don't really have anything to add. I think yeah, so football's good. I mean, hey, and I'm not being mean. Give me a reason to go to San Diego. <laughs> no, I mean, that's you in terms of <clears throat> pure raw potential, it exists. It clearly exists. And now maybe more of it exists if they really are going to kind of set up some sort of on campus something or other. So where it feels like when you're watching a San Diego State home game, it feels like you're watching a San Diego State home game, not a neutral site game in a pro stadium. Very good um, point. And and I, I think there's a lot of, you know, if they can figure things like that out, then, I mean, hell, if we're – I'm not going to say the Pac-12 is going to come calling, but Pac-12's expansion options are, are limited. And if you're suddenly going like 12-1 and one every single year in the Mountain West and beating Pac-12 teams, they at least have to look at you. Even if, you know, I was going to say academically, blah, 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 but Arizona isn't Stanford either. They would, they would overlook that uh, if it made sense to add a really, really super high-quality football program to their bunch. They would, they would take that into consideration, I think. I'm not um, entirely sure on the politics on that one. I'll have to ask next time I, I talk to Pat. Yeah, it's another people. California school. And yeah, I don't know how that uh, – there's more centralized power at the top of the Pac-12 than there ever thought about being at the top of the Big 12, <laughs> if the top of right. the Big 12 even exists, and it isn't just Austin, Texas. 
Um, so if they wanted that to happen, I think they would. But I, de- I also, I still think that if Scott wants to make Larry Scott wants to make a move, they're either going to think globally with Hawaii as a bridge to the Pacific Rim, or they're going to look at poaching a major program. Yeah, man, I, I really do. Like, like I think the Texas pine- is more likely than San Diego State. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Although I, I really do like I want him to get stupid. I want him to add Hawaii. I want him to 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 throw a ridiculous hail mary that has no chance of succeeding just because I want to see it happen. But maybe Hawaii isn't stupid in a couple of years. Well, I, and that's true too. Financially, maybe. I'm not saying they're going to. I'm, I'm not saying we're having the Timmy Chang year over over and over. I'm just saying maybe it makes a lot more sense. That's the basketball thing that they need to watch and see. Figure if they start to see consistent revenue on the basketball deal in China and they start to see consistent demand for their basketball in China, I think Hawaii is going to join the Pac-12. And, and again, I was going with capital S stupid, not, not actually adding, I, I want him to get crazy. Uh, I want him to get weird yeah. and Hawaii is the step towards that. So that's absolutely what I want to see just to, for, for my pure entertainment. That's what I want to see. Let's see grumpy ass Bob Stoops going to SEC media days. Miserable on top of miserable. Bill! We hit think, 70 minutes this time. And well, we're seven minutes away from our our awesome staff meeting. Um, as always, we thank you all for your time. Uh, you can follow Mr. Bill Connolly on Twitter at SBN underscore Bill C. And myself on Twitter and Instagram. I hadn't really updated the Instagram uh, at 38Godfrey. Um, please be sure to subscribe and review at SoundCloud, at iTunes, at da 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 wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, we will be back with consistency and vigor next week as we, <laughs> uh, can you tease where you're going to be on the preview train? I've got some new stuff breaking. We'll, we didn't even really talk about that today, but we can in the future if you guys want. Um, I get yelled at by Alabama fans. I'm living right by Jesus Christ. Um, who are you going to be previewing next week, Bill? I feel I need a, like a hip-hop beat in the background for this, but New Mexico State. Yeah! Georgia, Georgia State. Woo! Louisiana Lafayette. Well, well, Georgia well, State. Well. Um, and SCP's South Alabama. the Sun Belt. Womp womp. Yeah, okay, so those are the next five. Um, we, Wednesday, we will record uh, right after the Georgia Southern preview goes up. We, we, we are desperate for a reason to talk about Georgia Southern for an hour, so we probably don't even need any more than that. But. Okay. Uh, no, keep your questions coming because we actually talked about Florida today. So there's your there's your P five. And I apologize. I apologize for getting mean. I do, but <sighs> you got mean into the sitting coach. I don't think that's necessarily mean. I'm the one who just thinks he's in a in, a, in an inexplicable way headed to getting fired sooner than later. I just uh, I know there, it doesn't make sense. But there are first Florida, world baby. problems. There are first world problems, and then there's that. I, I'm, I cannot relate. Anyway, being all right. a Florida football fan is a zero world problem. <laughs> we'll see you next week.